And welcome back to a worthless film podcast where the films are not worthless, just the opinions are. And us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and us. It has been a long window since we recorded last, and so I need to give a big shout out to Jack for his patience in my <laughs> schedule and my my mental breakdowns. <laughs> I think I think we all just needed a breather after watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, uh, that four hour emotional roller coaster. Uh, there was it, it was a lot. It was a lot of processing time, and actually, that kind of leads its way into this episode because that was a fantasy i would actually really think that i'd argue that he did take some cues from sci-fi and um like i I don't know what what genre there's a question for the justice league episode (laughs) but what genre would you place that into compared to this one yeah so i i think that i think Zack snyder likes to drift towards fantasy a lot more than sci-fi um i feel like he gets a lot of inspiration from a lot of fantasy stuff too um Mm -hmm especially like classical fantasy. Um, but yeah, I think he, especially with all his slow motion and like, oh, you know, yeah. all the like epic shots and stuff like that. And like treating the characters like they're gods and like otherworldly yeah. in that sense. Um, much more like you can tell like he, he's probably like gets huge boners for Greek <laughs> mythology. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's mythology, gravitas is the tone. But now going into the actual film we're recording about today. So there's a little (laughs) extra credit. (laughs) There's an extra credit clip for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, You didn't didn't already have two hours of it. So anyways, we watched Blade Runner 2049. um, And before we get into the actual film, I guess, I wanted to to open up a discussion really briefly about like sci-fi. And that's Mm. what that was talking about. And because I think there's two different schools and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Obviously yeah, that's why I'm asking it. the question. I think there's two schools. I think there is star Wars. And mm-hmm. then I think, which is like, I guess, fantasy action, adventure, sci-fi. And then I think there's something like uh 2001, a space odyssey, which is what, like, I, I don't know. I, it leans way more into a different zone of the genre. And yeah. so when I watched Blade Runner, the original, because that's why we also took so long. I had to watch the first one and the second one because I had mm-hmm. not seen the first one. Uh, <laughs> When it comes into that, how would you feel? How do you how do you feel that this I guess franchise now fits into that, like yeah, the so, genres? Where does it land? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and there is a difference. Like you yeah. can't you can't watch a Blade Runner and watch Star Wars and not see the differences between those kinds of movies. Yeah. Um. So I think of when I think of Star Wars, I think of like space opera or like space epic, um, mm. and that like in terms of that classical line of storytelling um, and that it is an epic tale. It is yeah. like a, it's more so like it's less, it's less about um, some kind of like idea or concept or like notion about like some future. And it's yeah. more so about some epic story that just happens to be told in the setting of space. Absolutely. Um, like it's not about like, star, you're not watching star Wars and kind of learning more things about the universe. Like it's quite literally a different universe in a different galaxy far, far away. Um, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, quite literally. So it's much it's much more so about the story and the characters and the themes um, yeah. when it comes to so, And that's the opera-ness of it or the epicness of it. Um, Blade Runner, on the other hand, I think is much more of uh, like pure science fiction. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Is, it, is about a, it is about conveying some kind of truth or idea about the universe, our universe mm-hmm. especially, or humanity. Um, or space travel or all those kinds of very dense and very broad and like forward thinking ideas and kind of trying to translate those into a film to think about them and to talk about them more. Cause it's all about, it's less so about themes and more so about ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with you because that's, you know, using these uh, principles and what we saw in this episode or this movie in particular it just felt mm-hmm. like so grounded and like so it's it's crazy how they use setting and set pieces to make something so grounded as well yeah. it's like this is almost a it's it, it is a dark twisted reflection of us you know yeah. eventually and i think obviously star wars doesn't get that gritty yeah and people could argue with me on that but i'm like no 
you know so yeah well and, it, and it's not that this movie doesn't have like doesn't deal with themes um of course but i'm just thinking about the base like the baseline function of it like yeah. what it's like trying to accomplish and i think that that's different is much more stark between like a 2001 a space odyssey and a star wars yeah um like og star wars like yeah. those movies are vastly different in how they function mm-hmm. um i think nowadays we kind of i think believe runner does drift much more towards sci-fi but there is the like it does deal with themes it does deal with very very personal um you know, kind of un- like these universal topics or like, you know, uh, ethos, I guess, I'm, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. It, yeah has, I, it has a lot of ethos to it. I think I agree with you. Um, it's so interesting. It's just so crazy. Are those, are those two okay, uh, I guess, points or I guess, uh, what do I want to say, marking points? Because I'm like, it, I think it is a spectrum. And I think mm-hmm. that. Blade Runner kind of falls within the middle, a little closer to uh, 2001. But like, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that those were the two. They're so different, but they're also no, within the same wheelhouse. Too, I, I think that's an incredible two like sign points of it of the genre, of the genre um, because like it's it is a very diverse genre. Like there is, it seems like it wouldn't be like on face value. Like oh, if there's lasers and spaceships, like it's sci-fi. Um, mm. That's really yeah. not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think Star Wars and 2001: Space Odyssey are the good kind of like signposts of what those differences are. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of a spectrum to where like, you know, something like a Star Trek or a Blade Runner or, you know, insert any movie like yeah. Tron, like anything you could think of, it falls Tron. in the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Okay. So now getting into Blade Runner 2049, uh, mm. directed by Denny Villeneuve, uh, written by Hampton Fancher and Michael Green. How do you think that this film compares to the original? Yeah. Um, so, well, I think it's, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, either way, like they both didn't make any money at the box office. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right, right. They're both like, they both were kind of flops in their era. Um, crazy. Like the original, it's crazy. And, and they both have such a cult following, like especially the original Blade Runner has such yeah. a cult following and like people love that movie. Yeah. Um, how do you, where, how, where do you stand on that movie? The original Blade Runner? Yeah, like, do you think it deserves the hype? Is it overhyped? Yeah, I love it. I think I understand if people don't like it. Um, and I, the reason I understand people don't like it is because if you watch it now and you're not really aware of it or know much about it, um, it feels like just a rehash of everything we've seen, every sci-fi trope we've seen over the last 30 years in one movie. Yeah. Um, and that's because a lot of movies got their sci-fi inspiration from Blade Runner. Literally, yeah. <laughs> like, it pioneered so many things that you have to keep that in mind when you're watching it. Because if you just go for it, go into it blind, you're probably gonna be like, I've seen this a hundred times in a hundred different movies, this very kind of thing um, to where it seems bland or it seems like very, very run of the mill. But if you keep in mind that this is the first movie to do so many of those things, like, wow, like this is like a masterpiece in a, in a lot of ways. It really is. And I think he- what the number one thing we could still say about that movie too, and because this was my first time watching that one, so unfortunately, mm-hmm. fans, this is the Blade Runner final cut and twenty forty nine review for Cameron. Um, I think that while a lot of effects in movies and stuff like don't hold up, like the first one that comes to mind is when I watched the first Harry Potter. This is the first one that comes to mind when I watched the first Harry Potter, and you see that like him in the broom lesson or Neville on the broom, yeah. and he's like flying all over the place. The CGI ages terribly. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? it just doesn't hold up anymore. And that's yeah. no one's fault. I'll still, I'll still enjoy the movies. Like obviously, yeah. uh, but watching that and then watching something like this that was made, you know, thirty years before it, mm-hmm. it still holds up. Like I think, yeah, what this shows is number one the 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 practicality and the beauty in just practical effects and like. Yeah. Thus, the staying power of this movie, I think, still holds up better than films that like have come out more recently using more like, more expensive effects. I'm just like, yeah. I think, and the points that they're trying to get across within the practical effects too were amazing. And even yeah. even with the, I guess, shitty computer graphics yeah. that, that were on the screens and whatever, it still works. I don't know what yeah. it was. It just has that staying power. It never, it did feel dated and it does feel like a product of its time, mm-hmm. but it still holds up. And I think it's yeah. still, it still just works so well. And so in ways that other movies don't. And so I felt with this 2049 as, as the successor to uh, the original, I think that this is the truest spiritual successor mm-hmm. I have probably I've ever seen. 
in a sequel. Or I guess, is it a sequel? Is it a prequel? No, it's not a prequel. It's a, but... it's a sequel. Yeah, yeah. It's a sequel. Yeah. So I'd say that I think that this film is like the definition of what a perfect sequel is. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's one of the best sequels ever, like in, Absolutely. in any movie. Um, and I think it's better than the original Blade Runner. Um, Whoa! And I think it's probably one of the best sci-fi movies I've ever seen. This is this is, this is bold. These bold statements here. Hot takes. Wow. These are, I don't know if they're yeah they're hot takes. If you think it's better than the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I don't so, I don't know if I disagree with you, but I just like I just for the fans. Unfortunately, I just got to be honest too. I don't know how hot of a take I have on this, or just like <laughs> I was telling Jack before this, I was like it's going to be a lot of you explaining what happened to me because I don't get it, and like yeah. the movie is two and a half hours, and I only have so much attention I can give to one yeah. thing, and so. Yeah. But uh, again. I'm a major fan of this movie. I'm a major fan mm-hmm. of the first one. I don't think I quite hold them as, you know, holy grails, but yeah. I enjoyed them. Yeah. I, so I, and I feel like we should just get into spoilers pretty soon here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, like, I think the first one was such, it was such a master, it was not only a masterpiece, it was such a pioneer at the time. Um, but I think this one's a perfect sequel in that it, it, takes everything that happened in the first one and it builds off it in such an organic way yeah. and it expands the universe without doing a rehash. Like, so, cause so many sequels, they just do the same thing, a tiny bit different and yeah. just like put a number two on it. Like, um, let's just honestly for me. And I don't want to, I don't want to make this the, the episode, but I just think of, uh, the force awakens. You can think of any, like literally yeah. so many examples of movies that have just re- that repackaged something from a very successful predecessor yeah, and just, just made another movie doing the exact same thing with different characters. And it's like this movie so easily could have just done that and it probably would have been successful um, or as successful as it was because nobody really saw it. <laughs> um, Poor, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, because I feel like it's a bunch of film junkies and the cult following yeah. that loves yeah. Blade Runner. And if you know the influence, then you really do appreciate it for yeah. this one. It's like, but regular people though, like 30 yeah. over 30 years later, they're coming, they're seeing Blade Runner back in theater. So, like, I didn't really watch the first one. Like, it's not really yeah. something I care. It's not something that's in the public consciousness very much unless exactly. you're a fan. Um, exactly. Or, or, yeah. or you hold it dear for being the pioneer that it is. Cause I'm like, yeah. you, you need, it's like real recognize real for the yeah. pioneer. Like yeah. you have to recognize it for being what it is. And I really did. I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite movie of all time, but I'm like, I did yeah. enjoy it. And then to see the influence of that into this was so special. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I, I think this film like takes every, all the interesting things from that first film. Um, and it, it builds it, it builds on it it expands the universe in a very mature way. Like it feels like this world has matured into a new like sphere. Like it yeah. feels, it feels very similar. Like we still feel like we're in that universe. Like it doesn't feel like completely different. Like they've completely changed everything. It still feels like the original Blade Runner universe, but it does feel like it's been 30 years in that world to where they, they've grown from some things, they've changed some things, but they've also made some missteps in other areas yeah. as things go. And it's like, yeah. um, and I feel like with this, like, I feel like in the original Blade Runner, there's a lot of like meandering, like Harrison Ford is just kind of like walking around and things are just happening to him. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of that film to where I'm like, okay, this like kind of feels like it's dragging a little bit or where he's kind of just like walking around places and like things are just going on. Yeah. This film, this film and giving it that detective angle um, and making it much more of a detective story with mm-hmm. kind of something to figure out and like, because he, he there's a little bit like he was doing some detecting in the first film, but also it's kind of like him just like kind of having some like realizations about himself or like yeah. very like ethereal thoughts. Um, yeah, it was very he stumbled into this. It was yeah, very yeah. like Chinatown, very Maltese Falcon, you know. Yeah, and but this one it felt much more driven, and it felt much more like there was an end goal in sight, yeah. um, and everything that was going on felt much more intentional. Um, and one could say like, it was like, there's some plot things that are a little contrived, like, um, but they, it, I was okay with it because it all worked together for the betterment of the story, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, this film takes everything good about the first one and just makes it better and expands on it more. in I think perfect ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, again, I'm like, I agree. I just, <laughs> I just don't know. And like, I think if I, if I'd given myself time to watch it twice, I could really have that opinion. Cause this is yeah. actually 
now besides Superman Lois, whatever we've watched, I've watched at least two or three times already. So yeah, those thoughts have stayed, but this is you know, my first exposure to this. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I have to agree that, that one more question, I'm sorry, before you get the source material, how do you, I like really just feel that this film is it the perfect spiritual successor. Again, going into your thing being, it's a perfect sequel. I think this film is a, a perfect spiritual successor to the first one. And when I think about comparison and legacy and the rest, I think of it, it becomes a really important thing to who is going to helm this, you know, compared yeah. to who helmed it before. And so I guess yeah. my question is, or my, my thought is, I really do think that Danny Villeneuve is the perfect director. Like mm-hmm. when you, when you look at his body of work, when you look at what he's done and what he's doing, I think he's like the perfect, like, next generation Ridley Scott not that Ridley Scott has retired or anything but when you look at their bodies of work like I just see tonal things I I see world building I see influence and I think the guy to pick up the baton from Ridley Mm -hmm. Scott as Danny Van I just loved it how did you feel about it yeah so I think I don't want to compare it too much to Star Wars because they are so different and like yeah. the films are just made for different reasons. They functioning in different ways. They're ex- um, functioning in different ways. Like absolutely. Yeah. But you know, this did, this did come out in the, it's a couple of years after, but it did come out in the era of new Star Wars. Um, and especially with Harrison Ford coming back for both these films. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like you definitely see a difference in his enthusiasm for these two franchises. Like he genuinely is excited about this franchise and yeah. you could tell he's really only doing Star Wars for the money. Um, he did, he wanted to be killed off in episode seven. Yeah. That like shocked he was, anyone. He was so exhausted. He just was like only there so he could die and not ever have to come back again. <laughs> but he did have to come back again eventually. My man. <laughs> My man. But I think of Denis Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve and versus like a J.J. Abrams and um, uh, and sorry, I'm thinking. There you go. Um, and Ryan Johnson, sorry, I don't know why I couldn't think of his name for like five seconds. Um, but yeah, you, so you think of like a J.J. Abrams to where, especially with The Force Awakens, he was somebody who was trying to, you know, revive a franchise like that, just like Denis Villeneuve was. But J.J. Abrams kind of just relied too much on nostalgia and rehashing something that felt familiar. Yeah. Um, and then you think of Ryan Johnson after that to where he kind of went so hard in the other direction to where he was just like, no, like we're not thinking, we're not like, we're not dwelling on anything that happened before. Like we're completely subverting that and changing everything from that, yeah. like brand new direction. And both are jarring in their own ways. I feel like Denny Villeneuve was like the captured the perfect balance between those two things and that he very much paid homage and captured the magic of the first Blade Runner um, but then turned around and did a completely new story that felt very fresh um, yeah. and felt like a very, a very natural and organic progression in the world for these characters. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you're totally right. And I really like the way you put that as natural progression. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I totally agree. It's it. Yeah. I, I just can only agree <laughs> with yes. And I can't elaborate because I think you elaborated on that perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Now you want to go get into spoilers? Yeah, so let's get into the let's set the stage for the story first. <laughs> you, um, so, that's your job. I got I, you. I got this. You're still setting the stage for me. <laughs> you're good. Uh, if you need me to stop or pause, just let me know. You let me um, know. Okay, so in the first Blade Runner, uh, we have Deckard, who is a cop for LAPD, and it's like a very dystopian future kind of version of you know 2019 or whatever at that time, um, and basically there are replicants which are very human-like robots um that were used for slave labor and different functions stuff like that they rebel and they become sentient or they you know become more sentient every ai trope ever yeah every ai trope but a lot of them come from this film um and they start to rebel and do their own thing and deckard is a blade runner who is a cop that is forced to quote-unquote retire these replicants that means um, murking them yeah just killing them um and this story is from philip dix uh or philip k dix um do androids dream of electric sheep which is basically the book version of this movie and i guess he is um, the guy too that is every sci-fi yeah and I, i've read the book it's a good book um oh the, really yeah i had to read it for my classes oh um, you're cool in college it was a good it was a really good book it's different in some ways from the film uh, i think the film was a little bit better um but <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also a film major, so that's I how that works. Yeah, um, 
But so, yeah, so that's basically, and then Deckard meets a replicant named Rachel and they fall in love and he gets a little rapey with her at one point and kind of forces himself on here, which is pretty cringe. I felt that um, when I first watched it. It's definitely like, very, it's definitely very rapey. It didn't um, age well, but you know, that was the yeah, time. Did not age well. Um, but basically Deckard, it demand, uh, sorry, Deckard, um, disavows his Blade Runner title and refuses to retire Rachel and they run away together and fall in love. Okay, I did not understand that at the ending of the first one, so I appreciate that. Yeah, there's also three editions of the first movie. There's the original cut, which has some very, very wonky narration from uh, Harrison Ford. It's more like a noir-style film. Yeah. Horrible. And there's a director's cut. Have you? How many times have you seen Have you seen all of them? I've seen all of them. Um, oh, my god! Yeah, the first one's, first one's pretty rough, not worth watching. Um, then there's a director's cut, which kind of takes which takes away that and adds some different scenes in for context. And the final cut, which is the basically just a more polished version of the director's cut. That's what I saw. A little longer. Yeah, final cut's the, the, the version to watch. Um, right. But, and then, yeah, throughout this, throughout this film, there's questions about whether Deckard himself is a replicant or not. Um, really? Yeah, so that's kind of like, I didn't that, was, know, yeah. that was a big debate at the time about whether or not Deckard is a replicant himself. Because um, that's why he's kind of like, you know, the, the film deals with the question about um, what makes one human. And the film kind of makes the argument that memories is what makes someone human. Um, and it blurs the lines between, you know, a human replicant because replicants themselves have been capable of, you know, showing memory and stuff like that, even if they're implanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the memory is what, you know, they rely on, like they attach themselves to. And it's like, this is why I have a soul, basically. Oh, and um, that's why it gets really gnarly when memories start becoming implanted. And it's yeah, like, oh. so it's not, you know, they're not sure if memories are implanted or not. And it's kind of hard to tell. That's why it's, we're not really sure if Deckard is a replicant or not. Um, and the film doesn't really answer that question. Um, well, that's the, as it shouldn't, really. Yeah, as it shouldn't. Um, so basically now, uh, it's 30 years later, um, and there is a new Blade Runner in town played by Ryan Gosling and also all-star cast in this film. I, I really got, wrote, I wrote Murderer's Row of Talent. Yeah, we got Ryan Gosling, Robin Wright. We got- Anna uh, DeArmas. Anna DeArmas. We got- um, Jared Leto, Harrison Ford. Jared Leto, Harrison Ford. Um, we got, who else do we got? Um, we got a lot of, we got a lot of more good people in here. There's, it's so good. <laughs> oh, and Dave Batista. Oh yeah. Dave Batista is incredible in this film. I think so too. He, in the in the you know five minutes he's in, but yeah, but he's like he's super compelling in it. Like I feel like is. it's the best acting I've seen him do. He is um, he's actually okay. Wait, while you keep looking that yeah yeah there Dave Batista I think is very underrated. Like when you just like look at his range, he's been yeah. in this. He's and yes, he's a heavy hitter. He's a blockbuster actor, obviously mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy. But like on top of that, he was in uh, what's it called. This movie, he's in the mm-hmm. Skyfalls, or no, not yeah. Skyfall, but Spectre, or, which Spectre, didn't yeah. age well. But you yeah. know, like even so, like he's he's a, I think he's actually a very surprisingly great talent. Yeah, and I feel like this role kind of gave him that room to kind of not just be a brute, but kind of yeah. be more of a, you know, kind of see more of his much more of his emotional side. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's thirty years in the future, and there was a blackout in twenty twenty two, shortly after the first film. That released all the record that deleted all the records of who all the original replicants were, the ones that rebelled. I never got um, that. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, so that's why they that's why. So basically now Blade Runners are set off to find those original replicants and retire them. Um, and a new company stepped in because after the first film, replicants the were the Tyrell outlawed. Corporation, yeah. Yeah, the Tyrell Corporation was, was disbanded and replicants were outlawed. And then a new company, Jared Leto's company, came in and started making replicants again but ones that would not rebel um, and it's a brand new version of them. And so now Blade Runner, and that's who K is. K is a new version of a replicant who is a Blade Runner. And they answer that question very early in the film that he yeah. is not human. He is a, he is a replicant. And I love, love the way that they do that. It's like that he's not human. And, but also the way that regular civilians or regular, you know, LAPD officers just yeah. talk down to the dude. Yeah, yeah, they're still they're still relegated as second class citizens, if citizens at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, so basically, um, 
Ryan Gosling's K is off finding those original replicants and taking them down. And while taking down that first replicant, which is Dave Bautista, he finds a gravesite of a replicant. And little does he know that they find out that replicant was pregnant and gave birth uh, to a child. And that sets off, that would have major implications for the entire world of Blade Runner. Because if a replicant can have a child, maybe they aren't so different from humans after all. And maybe that has a lot of different implications for how they are treated in society. Of course. Yeah. So that sets off the the story and that replicant, it turns out, was Rachel from the first film and the father was none other than Harrison Ford himself, Deckard. Um, crazy. Yeah, crazy. And throughout a series of memories and shocking discoveries of Ryan Gosling, uh, he finds out that that child might be him and he might not be a replicant after all. He might be a human, this chosen one. Um, so that kind of sets off the story of the film, him looking to find out what happened, how did it happen, and if that child is him, which he thinks it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so, so do you have any other questions? Is that kind of that? No, that, that, that does it. Uh, it's really just okay. Like it's the set pieces, it's the the events they Mm -hmm. go on. We'll talk, we'll dive into it. I don't have, I don't have a lot of questions, but like it's more, I guess, like film, filming kind of questions. So, like, you know, first thing that comes to mind is, well, how'd you like the point, plot point of Ryan Gosling being a replicant? Yeah, I, so I like that a lot. I liked that it was not really a question um, for us to discover. Yeah. Um, and and should we get to the twist of the film? Yeah. I feel like we get So the big twist is that, and it's, it's an, an incredible subversion because it's so heartbreaking. Um, he, throughout the film, he's on this quest trying to find, finding all these relics about his, these memories for him, from him, from his childhood and yeah. things that are very clearly pointing to him being this chosen one uh, who is going to lead the replicant revolution and save them in the world. Um, but it turns out those were implanted memories and he is not the chosen one. Yeah. And he is just a regular old replicant, nothing special about him. Um, and it's so <laughs> heartbreaking because he finds Harrison Ford and he thinks he's his dad and he's like bonding with him and like fighting with him. Um, yeah. And well, he goes on a mission to save him. He goes on a mission to save him and all this stuff. And, you know, he, for him to be thinking about all these things, for it to shatter in front of him, to like, no, like, you're not special. Like, it isn't you. Like, those memories are fake. Um, is so sad. And, and it's so impactful. Um, yeah. 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 What do you think about that? I don't, honestly, okay. So I didn't, like, Okay, guys. So as I watch movies like this, I'm just like, I need to have the Wikipedia page like up <laughs> and like explaining it to me because, yeah. uh, you know, on the first take, I just am not that receptive to a lot of yeah. stuff going on. And the other distraction to me is just how beautiful this entire movie was. Like, yeah. ridiculously, ev- every set, everything they did, I was just like so mesmerized by it because mm-hmm. it wasn't. I think at some point people lean into sci-fi and they just think that it's going to be, I don't know, like beautiful and futuristic and everything's a hologram. Da, 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 da. Like, yeah, I'm way more like, Oh wow. The idea that Ryan Gosling has a freaking AI girlfriend is just yeah. I'm like, I like I'm chewing on that in my own head as, mm-hmm. bef- as the plot goes by me. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Like it, it was a cool journey. I just don't know if I was so receptive and the length of the thing kind of, it's very long. It, Two and a half hours, which is two hour and forty five, I think even. Okay, great. I didn't feel yeah. it felt like that, but I was like, uh, yeah, it's so, very long. I think I tried to do it in one sitting, and I don't know if I even. That's why I wasn't so receptive to it. So gotcha. Yeah. When it comes to Ryan Gosling being a replicant, I'm glad that they. I'm glad they answered it right away, and I think because do you think did you think that Harrison Ford Deckard was a was a replicant? Are you in that camp? Yeah. So they don't even really. I don't think he was. Um, I don't think so either. But they still don't even answer that question in this film. Yeah. Um, like we're not really, we're not really even sure um, about, you know, what that means. Like if he is or not, if he's a replicant or is not. Like it doesn't. But I think the film is saying like it doesn't matter. Like yeah. if he is or if he isn't. Like he still had a baby together. That's what's important. Like how we, what we think about replicants themselves yeah. is different. 
yeah. And so the, I having an explicit character be a replicant, I thought was great. I thought it was very cool. Yeah. Um, I liked Ryan Gosling's portrayal because it's just, it's clean and it's concise. And also the idea of a replicant being a Blade Runner too. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Um, and then uh, I guess my next question, I don't have very many, but how do you like Jared Leto's character? So, okay. I don't really have a lot of qualms with the film. Yeah. His character is my least favorite part of the film. I just thought that was, you know, if you want to shave the movie down, you can just remove just, him. Just remove him. I thought his I thought his assistant was much more daunting as a villain. Yeah. Um, Love, that's her name, yeah? Love. Yeah, L-U-V. Yeah, yeah. yeah L-U-V. I thought she was much more compelling as the villain of the film. And and I think she kind of is because she's the one doing all the work. Um, yeah. I think I might just have a bias towards Jared Leto. I don't know. I, it's hard for me to watch him in films, I think. Oh, my gosh, Jack. That is crazy. <laughs> also- I think- yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to make fun of you and say, also note that when he said all the talent, I was the one who said Jared Leto, not him. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's his acting is so distracting to me. Oh, really? Um, wow. Like, I, I feel like I can just totally tell when he's acting. Um, and, like, so some actors, like, they, like, they just fall into a role, and they're very, like, they're just very subtle, and they kind of just drift into it, and you don't really notice it. But... I feel like I just notice when he turns it on and is just doing his Jared Leto thing. Like, oh, hello. <laughs> I'm blind. Let me touch you. And I'm like, yeah. oh, he's doing a voice. Like, that's that's not Jared Leto. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just somebody, he's, he's somebody who, and I think it, I think part of it might be a bias. Um, yeah. But he well, just, I, I thank you for addressing that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's but it's very easy for me to be taken out of a movie when he is in it doing his Jared Leto like voice, like some different voice or manner like a mannerism thing. It's one. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm scarred by him as Joker a little bit. But this was right before Joker too. Yeah. Um. But even then, like, I've seen him in other things too, and like he's good in some stuff. But I feel like anytime I see him in a movie, it something just takes me out of it, and I'm like. Ugh, I just am ready for him to be off screen, but luckily he's very little. He's he's barely in the movie, so it doesn't ruin anything for me. That's so funny. Yeah, that was the one thing too. If I had a qualm with a, I don't know, with the film, it, there was a very big buildup to who he was and what's yeah. what's the. I think it's the Wallace Corporation. What they're going to yeah, do. Yeah. I didn't really understand what they were doing, what he did. I like yeah. that he birthed more replicants, which is like kind of mm-hmm. cool. I think that was his whole mission, and that happened. But I just. I didn't see a payoff in that. Yeah. Like he, he wants, he wants Deckard and he wants to figure out where the child is. Cause he wants to figure out how to do that himself. And it seems like he is like somewhat not bad intentions, but has just a weird way of going about it or maybe a skewed way of going. About it. I don't know. Yeah. It, that, that part didn't really work for me. The, the henchman or like his assistant going after them and like killing people and like finding out like that worked for me. Like I really, she, I was frightened by her like i felt like she was very daunting oh very um, scary yeah very scary and that was like that totally worked um but yeah the 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 wallace corporation jerry little stuff was kind of like yeah whatever yeah like, I, I, I liked love it. i like that i don't know I, what is it what is it for me like a king like in kingsman the first one like i love a good badass female robot like yeah yeah I'm yeah, like, yeah. so love, great if character. Only, if only she had swords for legs in this one, like in Kingsman. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, what? where are the swords for legs? Um, we don't know if those aren't there, though. Yeah, seriously. You know? That's my... Uh, hey, they could be there. You know, <laughs> you know the next, the next great, great debate in the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Is he a replicant? Does she have swords for legs? We don't know. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, so then who in this film do you think was your favorite character? Yeah, so I think, I think Ryan Gosling. Like I think he, I think he was just in, like incredible in it. I think it because I think that uh, I think Harrison Ford in the first one was just a little bit too stoic for me, yeah, um, and just like a little too brooding and like just kind of kind of making faces, going like that kind of thing. But I think that Ryan Gosling just had such a range of emotion in this while still capturing that stoic nature. Because he need he also like some of that stoicism needed to be there because yeah. he's a replicant. Yeah, and I, and I don't, and I feel like he like his emotional moments where he just starts to crack and just yeah. starts to let it out. It's so impactful the way he plays it. Um, well, when like, he I finds totally out 
Oh, sorry. Here you live. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. It's for me is especially, I'm sure you feel felt this way too, especially when he found out when, when we were turned against and he found out he was Rachel's son. Like they weren't implanted memories. Cause he goes to, uh, the actual, like the, he goes to the scientist and he's like, are these memories implanted? And she says, no. And then he's like, ah, like, Oh no, no, that's that's when he finds out he's not the chosen one. And he's not. Oh my son. gosh! See, literally, this. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. I didn't know why he was yelling no during that. <laughs> yeah, that's when he finds out that he is not special. He's just a replicate. And the memories were implanted, and so that girl behind the glass is is yeah. Rachel's daughter. She like, is the chosen she's, one. Yeah, she's the one that made the memories, but she's not the one who. Like you don't find that out then. No, 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 no yeah. You don't. You find that out later on that. And I think Kay finds that out then that he kind of knows. And we get a glimpse of it because she's like, oh, every artist puts a little bit of themselves in their work. Yeah. And she's the one that makes the memories or is like the best memory maker. Um, yeah. So it's kind of implied it might be her a little bit there. Like I, I caught that in my, in my like later viewings of it, yeah. like repeated watches. I'm like, oh, that's kind of where we get a glimpse of that. Which is the um, best. Yeah. Yeah. This movie definitely is a great rewatch. Like, I'm excited I rewatch, for that. Rewatching it this time and especially knowing the twist. I'm like, I see all the seeds and I'm like, oh man, like that is heartbreak. It kind of just makes it more heartbreaking a little bit, kind of knowing where it's leading and seeing his enthusiasm and like his drive to figure out the truth. Um, it, yeah, it's very, very impactful. Um, yeah. So I think that, so the first film kind of like talks about like, oh, memories are kind of how we like deal. And this, not to get a little too philosophical. I really You're fine. Yeah. Um, I need it. Yeah, but this film, like, there's a lot of philosophy in these films. Like, I had to study the original Blade Runner when I was in college, studying philosophy. Um, oh, really? In philosophy class, you studied Blade Runner? Yeah, yeah. It's a very classical, like, philosophy and film kind of movie. Yeah, and um, my boss, Jesse, who I talk to about this kind of stuff all the time, he he says Phil K. Dick is kind of the seminal sci-fi writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, no, no, go for it. Uh, I, I guess he his works were inspiration for the Matrix trilogy mm-hmm. and like a lot of stuff moving forward. And so I think it's it's important to even even yeah. think about the title of the work is "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" It's yeah, interesting. Yeah, very. And yeah, I think Phil Phil Kivik is incredible. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, not to get too philosophical, but it's like the you know the original film kind of talks about like oh memories are how we understand what is human and what is not. That's how we understand the line. Yeah. Memories cite experience and it's yeah. not like ro- robots can necessarily have experience. Yeah. It's like, you know, having, having a personal moment to attach to and to call back to, like, that's how we know that we're real and that we have a soul. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of why Deckard in the first one was like, kind of like going through his memories and dealing with that question. It was like, am I a replicant or am I not? Like, cause he was having memories. He wasn't sure they're real or not. But so that was kind of the, that was kind of the debate at that time. Um, with this film, it kind of makes the argument that memories aren't enough. You know, it's like because you know Kay this whole time is thinking that he's real because he has these memories. Um, but he later finds out that these they're just implanted, and so but so even because they're implanted, memories are not enough to yeah. determine whether one has a soul or not. Um, and this film kind of does deals a lot with like intimacy um like touch like we think of like joy who anna darmas like um like her that's like Kay's only real relationship in the film yeah and they can't touch each other oh um, my gosh and we see like Kay wearing gloves the entire film and he only takes his glove off later to feel the snow um i didn't even notice that <laughs> yeah those are things that i've noticed in the rewatch yeah. um or we think of um you know how like Jared Leto has to touch everything because he's blind and every replicant. Um, he has to like get his hands on things because he can't see with his eyes. Uh, we think of uh, their Harrison Ford and his actual daughter being um, separated by the wall of glass and not even be able to touch each other. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it's like that, that longing for intimacy and that experience of intimacy is kind of what is like another factor about what makes one have a soul or what makes one human. Um, yeah. And we see that longing for Kay um, and that un- un- inability to experience that throughout the film um, and that kind of showing how he is, even though he wants so bad to be human, have this kind of intimacy with another person, he can't. 
Yeah. And it's very, it's also like I, I, with what you're saying too, it, there's the intimacy to not even quite have with a person, but also with experience and, Mm -hmm. and to, uh, it's not just touching another human or being intimate with another like person, but also to be intimate with your environment. You know what I mean? The wall of glass separating them, him, him taking off a glove, like a barrier to touch snow, uh, those kinds of things and those kinds of experiences and like being one to receive take in all of that is kind of uh, a part of being human and that they are lacking, Uh, which makes me, I want to go into how did you feel about the set designs and the various like ways that they like demonstrated the future or like their view into the future? Uh, I think Las Vegas, San Diego, Mm -hmm. uh, LA were so interesting and compelling. how did you feel about it? I thought it was incredible. I I think that this film is like the perfect blend between like set design and like props and um, like miniatures and like modern CGI. Like, I feel like there hasn't, I don't think I've seen a better film in recent times that has meshed those two things together so perfectly. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen really in the last five years, a more beautiful film. Yeah. And like Roger Deakins, the cinematographer on it. Like it's just so incredible. Like it's, I feel like it's unmatched by anything really. It's just so crazy, like the way that through places they can convey their uh, perspective on what the future is going to be mm-hmm. through location. Like Las Vegas is the most depressing, scary place, but those color <laughs> yeah. schemes are so beautiful. Yeah. 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 This film in general, it's just so many incredible details. And I think that's one thing that Denis, Denis Villeneuve does really well is that he really takes the time to flesh out a world and make sure like there's no stone left unturned. Like yeah. he puts so much detail into these things. Like that book he read that Kay reads, um, that Anna de Armas like holds up to him, like, oh, it's boring book that you're always reading and stuff like that. Like, and what's seen different parts of the film is called Pale Fire. Yeah. Um, and it's by it's a Russian name. I I haven't read the entire book, but I had to read it ex- excerpts of it from one of my philosophy classes. Um Vladimir Nabokov. Um it's from 1962, but basically it's a very it's a very inception-y type of book in that Sounds it's right. in that it's it's about so many different layers of stuff. Not like inception, like about dreams, but like yeah. it's almost like a book within a book within a story kind of thing. Yeah. So basically there's a poet in the book that's writing a big a long poem. And then there is an author who's writing footnotes and commentary on it within the story of the world. And it's not the author of the book. So within the book, there's an author, it's a fake author who's writing a poem another fake author who is editorializing that poem and writing about it in footnotes, and then an author writing about both those people in a book. Sounds about right for this film. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> so but basically the story of the poem is that there is this guy who sees this white fountain and he's writing a poem about it and he sees that that fountain is, he see, and then another, so he sees this amazing fountain and nobody else can see it. And it's like kind of like in a different plane. And then another guy shows up and he sees, he says, hey, I can see the fountain too. And he's like, oh my God, like someone else can see it. Like this is evidence of the afterlife basically. And, and so that kind of influences his, his motives and like what his, like how he views the world and his life. And then he finds out later on that that other guy, it was a typo and he meant to say mountain, that white mountain. So the thing that he thought he was seeing, he thought someone else was seeing, it was a mistake and it was a typo. And it wasn't a fountain, it was indeed a white mountain. And he didn't see that. Wow. So, so all these, he saw, he thought he saw something. or thought something was real. And then he made all these assumptions about it and his life and the afterlife and who he was in the world. And because somebody else affirmed that, but it was a typo and they meant to say, I see a white mountain. So that shattered his entire view of it and his view of the afterlife and what he meant in the world was just completely wrong. Um, and that's, that's, Literally Ryan Gosling's perspective, basically. Exactly. In this entire film. Yeah. yeah, it's his journey in the film. He see, he thinks he knows something. He thinks he finds out some secret knowledge. And and it completely radically shifts his view of himself and the world and everything. It changes everything. Yeah. And in the journey of discovering that further, he finds out it was a mistake and he was wrong. And his his version of events or how he saw the world was flawed. And yeah. it actually wasn't true what he thought. He's not really that special. Um. So even those like details of like this classic literature, like showing up in the film and kind of mirroring the plot of the film in that way. Yeah. It's soup. It's, 
chef's kiss that kind of thing. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. Those are the kind of details that are just like masterful, I think. And again, I think that's also like kind of how we can applaud, you know, that's that exactly. Like I, I can only agree with you because I didn't know that now knowing that going in is just mm. so makes, it makes it so much richer. Uh, yeah. It's very, I think Nolan esque. You can mm. see the influence of someone like Nolan on a film like this too, which yeah. is very neat. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I'm a fan and I really like, uh, I, it is impossible not to see how thoughtful uh, Denny was in this film's, uh, I guess, execution. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's what makes something like this. Because I'm like, while I don't quite comprehend everything I'm seeing, mm-hmm. uh, there, I, I can respect it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I do. And, and you see it and maybe it's lost on me. And I do, I guess, want to rewatch and re-understand those things. But yeah. uh, it's very, it's just so rich, which makes everything in this so much taste, you know, so much better. Yeah. Right? And, and, that's, and that's really how I, I received it. And Absolutely. it was a lot to take in. Okay. Also, these films back to back, a lot to take in. <laughs> Because let me yeah. tell you, the original, you know what it reminds me of too from a film perspective and like the set pieces and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently, here's for my, for my sci-fi like chops. Uh, last year, I, I went to some event with a buddy and we watched Metropolis. Uh-huh. And to you, it is just insane to see the uh, influence of Metropolis in the original Blade Runner and even to yeah. this one, which is one of my favorite depictions of uh, urban life. And it's as not, people want to both like bolster the future as something that's, you know, a pinnacle to be reached. But I think almost the disdainful uh, gritty urban decay esque mm-hmm. future is more accurate, which yeah. I guess, you know, you want to go back into the major differences between something like star Wars and something like this. Yeah, uh, that's one of the major things, and that's something I really appreciate about uh, the original. And then this, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to say I didn't say it earlier. My favorite character was Ana de Armas Joy. So good. I love. I feel like this is, and I don't know the time frame for this, so I'm just gonna spout <laughs> off. Yeah, so, yeah. Blow me up the comments. It's fine. <laughs> also, uh, I feel like this is one of the first roles she had, or at least one of the major roles that she had that brought her to attention because this is like 2017. Yeah, I think she'd been in some other stuff before this, but I think this is one of her first like big blockbuster roles. Yeah, and yeah, I, when it comes to an actress being so charismatic and like the the thought again that went into their relationship of like how they, I like I guess make love it's her mm-hmm. going into another body yeah yeah her having like a person come in and her like implant over her it's and, yeah it's next level like her like scarlett yeah. johansson yes walking phoenix it's next yeah. level of that and i was like i just thought that was so good and it's that it's almost you know it's like an improv role you know you you take you yes and it's yes. like it's very much a yes and of, of that influence too, which is just mm-hmm. so so true sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, the the idea of man's relationship with machines demonstrated in that way. It's a yes and. It's a next level that I, I just think this entire movie was just a level up on not just Blade Runner but sci-fi and, and yeah. capability of yeah. the the genre and the medium. So yeah, and, and it even like and I love the Joy storyline because like it's yeah. you know it she's not human. Like she's even less human than, than K is like, she's just a program. And there's, but, a, yes, yes. Go, go, go ahead. ahead. It's just the idea that humanity exists on a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, just it's like agreeing. Yeah. No. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's like, she, she is even less real than K is. Cause she's just a program, just ones and yeah. zeros. But in like their relationship, I don't think anyone would say that the relationship wasn't real in the film. Like it feels incredibly real. Um, and like her choosing to leave the data bank and to delete the data bank and just go on the like little drive stick with him. Yeah. And then to have her like to have that moment where she's killed, where she's like destroyed. It's heartbreaking. Like, yeah. How'd you feel about that death? Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. And it, and it, but it felt like, I think this movie, what this movie does really well, it gets us to care about these characters in very, very deep ways to where I feel like that was kind of lacking from the first film. Yeah. Um, to where I cared about Deckard 
but like I didn't really care about him that much because I didn't really get to know him that much. And he was kind of a douche. Yeah, um, he was. And like we don't really know, like we don't really get to care about that Rachel that much because Rachel's pretty one-dimensional in the first film. Um, but I think this what this movie does so well is it really fleshes out these characters and it makes them feel very real to us. And it makes us care about them in like very, very deep ways to where at that point, seeing Joy kind of make the choice, like, no, I'm going to, I don't want them to track me. So like delete me from the data banks and I'm going to go with you. And it's like, he's like, yeah, but if you, if you break, like, that's it, you're gone. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but like, I, I want that because I want to be with you. Like, I'll be just like a real girl. Yeah. And it's like, and it gets again to where like blowing that line. It's like, what makes one human? Like what makes one have a soul? And it's like, you know, her being selfless and choosing, you know, love over what's rational there and choosing to be with him just because he needs a companion. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that is what makes her more real. That's what makes her human in that sense. And her choosing to, you know, forego the server that she lives on to yeah. be, to be almost like flesh and blood that is fragile and breakable and temporary. Yeah. Um, and then when she dies, like it's, it's very impactful. It's like, oh, she actually just died. Like yeah, she's yeah. having backups. Like there are other joys, but there's not that joy. Like, yeah, exactly. Her, like it made her unique and it made her different from anything other kind of program you would buy. Oh, um, and her dying, then him seeing her again. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, so sad. And it was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like that. And that, and that's just cemented. It's like, oh, it's like, that's how I know that she was real. Like that she was very unique in that sense, because we're seeing another joy right here, but it's not the joy he knew. And it's not yeah. the joy that he had a relationship with. It's just some other program that has the same name and face. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was one of the most impactful moments of the film for me, I think. Just like that relationship for one, and then seeing that relationship end. And her way. and her death. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because the one thing I thought I knew, I didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, why is he yelling no when he finds out he's the one? And you're like, he's not the one. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she... Okay, so she deletes herself or whatever. And mm-hmm. then you find out that she didn't quite completely delete herself. And then she comes in and like, that's how Love was able to find Deckard. It's because she tracked Joy's program within Kay's tech. Like he had, he had uh, Joy with her. And then when Joy comes back at the very end and then Love, like whatever, crushes the computer or something... So, so she turned, she deleted herself from the backups in his apartment so okay. that they couldn't look at their history and know what they were, know what they were doing or where they were going. Um, so when she turns that, when she deletes herself from that, that's when love finds out that that's when love gets that from the desk and like starts tracking them. Yeah. Um, and that's why love goes to the police station and kills Robin Wright to find out where K is so she can track him that wow. way. Okay. She can track K through LAPD about where he is and what he's doing. Yeah. So it wasn't through Joy because Joy, that's why Joy deleted herself and put made herself vulnerable um, mm-hmm. so that they couldn't be tracked by Love or by the Wallace Corporation. Okay. Um, it was K through LAPD that they were found. Okay, thank you. Yeah. That and that's why, when, that's why when Love smashes Joy, she's dead. And she, oh my gosh, in her death, it's like also too just the idea that she wasn't able to finish her. She was mid sentence when she died too. I just yeah, it was yeah, perfect execution. Yeah. Um. And also, I was thinking about how could how how interesting would it have been for like Anna de Armas like to film that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. Uh, I just that entire circumstance and situation was wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm not pro death, but it was executed well and no, not yeah, in a fun sure. way either. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Okay, so also I realized too within this uh, film, we're seeing, and I think this is inevitable in every film, but I think this one might be a little bit more explicit in its, uh, again, execution. Mm-hmm. That the merging of genres, because it's not strictly mm-hmm. sci-fi, you know, it's, 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 I guess, principal sci-fi, but then we, we, we have the tones of uh, hard-boiled detective, uh, yeah. I guess, noir neo-noir yeah uh coming through how do you feel about the execution of the detective stuff and the noir-esque narrative coming through uh this sci-fi filter how did you, you feel about that execution within this film yeah i loved it um like again that was probably the things i was talking about earlier with being a little bit contrived like a little bit of the plot is slightly contrived yeah. um you know like him being the cop to find that tree and to find the baby and all that kind of yeah, stuff right, right, and like right. 
this whole and him just being his memories by chance that were implanted from this event that made him think this like that stuff feels a little bit contrived um but it was executed so well and we got and it made the film made us care about the characters so much to where any of those problems were non-issues for me um we're so, talking yeah, like we usually say though that you know, the the good outweighed not that that's even like quite bad because at some point yeah, yeah. It, it all has to be you know, it has to be contrived from something and so exactly yeah like there you know I understand it's a movie and things have to work out a certain way um so yeah but if something's going to be contrived or something is going to feel contrived like the job of the movie is to get me not to care about that and this or get one me did to look that. past that and it did it perfectly like yeah. I I wasn't at any point in the film like as as the film went on I wasn't like oh of course this happened or blah 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 like the film and the way it worked with the twist, especially. Yeah. And like Kay's and like Kay's own emotions and reactions yeah. to that. Like it, it was a complete payoff for me. So I'm like, Oh, I'm caring about how emotional this is for him now, not how convenient it might be for the plot. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't the, the plot didn't force its way through. It took us on a journey. And I think again, we, we it all respect to Denny, Denny V, because I can't pronounce his last name. I've tried twice, and I'm just like, it's not lining up. So he's French. Okay. Denny, Denny V, baby. Uh, Denny V. So <laughs> I think, again, it just goes to show that the thoughtfulness he took, he he paid the respect and thoughtfulness that went into the execution because mm-hmm. he, some people, you know, and you see it in directors, they, they force their plot to do what they want, and it doesn't yeah. quite come to uh, full fruition. It, it doesn't end up a good quite a good product i think you know yeah. best example would be joss whedon's justice league um <laughs> don't get me started we i'm not going to yeah and so uh, <laughs> with this one he allowed the story to kind of go where it needed to which yes you know it, it makes it that much more enjoyable and, and yes i think rewatchability is there too because of that yeah. yeah yeah and see and like i think knowing the twist and knowing the mystery it it definitely changed how i watched the film because i'm seeing all these things and i'm like oh i know what's actually happened um it's a de- it's a definitely different on the rewatch it's yeah it's very good it's so funny that like i missed the twist <laughs> that makes me laugh so hard it's like no, that's that's how much hard. i understood it's easy to miss though like i missed when i first watched it i didn't really understand what had happened until after like well after that scene those scenes like it was only kind of when harrison ford and him were talking and then like when he saw his daughter that's kind of when it sunk in for me I'm like, oh, that because it doesn't really explain it. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, it doesn't like uh, spell it out for you per se. Yeah, you kind of really only see it through like the emotional reactions and stuff like that, and like through more like visual cues. Um, I mean, like later on, the the resistance lady kind of tells him that he's not special. Yeah. Um, and by that point, I'm like, oh, that he isn't it because I was kind of curious at that point before. So it's yeah, it's definitely it can be easy to miss. Um, especially if you're not watching it all in one sitting. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I only have like one more question. I think Any you know other that question. Is. It is, question. what would you rate this out of 10? I rate this a 9.5 out of 10. It's probably like one, of, it's probably my favorite movie or one what? of my favorite movies. I was like, wow, this one takes the cake for that. Um, this is a top, it's a top three movie for me, I think. Well, it, I have, it's also to like apparent your, your, um, respect for the source material you know what i mean yeah and, and you've spent time with this material i can't give this that rating based on yeah. my one exposure and like yeah. you know don't hold me to this and also i think the by now everyone understands like my retention and you know, how how i received it so it's like it's mm-hmm. not that i think i'd give it a 7.5 yeah. with room to grow because i really yeah. just it was a lot to take in and yeah it's you know it's really i just feel like it's it's, I feel like it's me showing my girlfriend the MCU and we're just watching it. And I'm like, yes, yes. I'm like, I want, it's a lot to take in and I get that, yeah. but upon rewatchability, you'll really find, enjoy yourself. And I think I will yeah. too. I, I, I loved what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably a dual rating for both films. I yeah. re- maybe actually it's probably an 8.0 because yeah. I really enjoyed them and I'm excited to rewatch them, which is a great mm-hmm they did their job if that's how I feel about it, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's about it. It was good. It was good. It was beautiful. Again, probably most beautiful film I've seen in the last five years. So yeah. Yeah. I'd say one of the most beautiful films ever. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. 
Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely better than Justice League. Because <laughs> that's it's, the yeah, bar. it's almost as good as my favorite movie, uh, Justice League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called yes. Justice League. That's how we rate every movie. Is it better or worse than Justice League? <laughs> and I say this one's better. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I'll put my name on that. It's slightly that's, better. There's the hot take for the episode. <laughs> Is it better or worse? Alrighty. Don't worry, fans. This episode will also come out. Like the next episode that we've been talking about is going to come out sooner than this one did. So yes, yes, we're excited about it. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You should look forward to it, though. It's, it's actually surprise. not. It's not going to be a movie, though. That's we're reviewing what's cool. jo- Joss Whedon's Justice League, <laughs> our favorite movie. The best one. That one's yeah. not a movie. It is a Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Alrighty, well, thanks so much, Jack, for recording today. Hey, it was super thank fun. Thank you, Cameron. This has been a pleasure. I, I get, promise. I got to talk about my favorite movie, so. Uh, yeah, I, I promise that we are going to. I'm going to have a little bit more to contribute to the next. <laughs> it's no, this this movie is is it's very dense. Both these movies are very, especially the first one, is incredibly dense. I got um, a philosophy lesson. You got a little philosophy lesson. I try to sprinkle it in there, you know, just yeah. a taste. Yeah, <laughs> just a taste. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jack. Really enjoyed right. this. We will see you next time. Our hopes and dreams travel with you. <laughs>